Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 18th. What a finale to the 2021 Indian Wells, a championship Sunday all of us will remember for some time to come. It started with a thrilling three-set women's singles final that saw 23-year-old Paula Bedosa Earned the biggest title of her career, the crowning achievement in what has been a breakout 2021 campaign. She earns a 7-6 in the third set victory over two-time Indian Wells champion Victoria Azarenka, a match filled with incredibly high-quality tennis. And of course, on today's show, I want to talk about what allowed Paula Pedosa to get over the finish line. I also want to talk about what she's accomplished this season relative to her many peers on the WTA Tour, of course, following the women's singles final. We got a three-setter from the men as well, and in the end, it was Cam Nori, another one of those breakout players of 2021. He earns, clearly, the biggest ATP title of his career, second of his season, second of his career as well, knocking off Nicolas Basilashvili in three sets, and you look at what Nori has accomplished this season. All of a sudden, he's put himself on the shortlist for players seriously in contention for qualifying uh, to qualify for the year-end finals, excuse me, in Turin. Of course, I want to talk about what Nord did so well, not just this week, but what he's done well all season long. I know these are two familiar topics to you listeners as we talked a bunch of Nori with Chris Otto on our Saturday mini break podcast. We talked Paula Bedosa extensively on a Saturday GSP episode with David Kane as well. If you'd like to hear extended thoughts on either of these players, hop on over to those episodes. But of course, today I do want to summarize and 
offer you my thoughts on those Indian Wells singles finals, talk about what these two players have accomplished, and then also offer you all an update on where the stats stand entering this season's home stretch. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Best equipment, best prices, one location. It's really simple, folks. Tennis-point.com. It's T-E-N-N-I-S, the symbol dash, P-O-I-N-T.com. Sincerely, the best equipment at the best prices, all in one location. Tennis-point.com. You use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all order exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it and let's go chronologically because – Quite frankly, what a start to the day. That Indian Wells women's final between Paula Bedosa and Victoria Azarenka and what Bedosa's done all tournament long has simply been sensational. You look at her run to the championship. She dropped only one set. It was in her first round match against Diana Yastremska, and it's worth remembering. This was Paula Bedosa's first Indian Wells main draw. She then knocks out 15 seed top 20 player Coco Goff straight set victory there. One in five over Krejcikova in the round of 16. Four and five over Angelique Kerber in the quarterfinals. She then earns a three and three victory over Onjabur to set up this final with Victoria Azarenka. The story for Bedosa all tournament long has just been the high percentage tennis that she's played. And you look at the first serve numbers for her throughout the course of the week, she was at a 70% clip entering the final. And while that number dipped to 64% in the final, and thus, you know, we had, I believe she was broken, I want to say seven times throughout the course of the match. And, you know, she was 10 of 17 in terms of break points saved. You look at the break points she created in the match, five of 13 in terms of break points converted. There were 30 break point chances in this women's singles final. Breaks of serve were at a premium, particularly in that second set, Victoria Azarenka, all over Paula Bedosa's service games. And yet, Part of that was uh, was a product, a byproduct of the conditions we saw at Indian Wells all week long. It was so difficult for any of these players to hit, find easy plus one opportunities, to find easy opportunities to hit through the court, create you know easy plus one chances, and just you know simple approach shot putaways. That's not what you're going to get when you're playing on this gritty, slow, hard court at Indian Wells. And yet, Bedosa was ready to suffer physically throughout the duration of of the course of the week and just in each and every match she played. She never once beat herself. She never let the abundance of service breaks get into her head. She never let her momentum be curbed. She continued to swing so freely on the return of serve. And of course, what stands out most frequently as a returner, Victoria Azarenka served for the tournament up 5-4 in that third set. And Bedosa was able to get the break. And it was just, you know, again, the relentlessness, the depth on each and every backhand return she hit. And then, you know, again, her willingness, the shot up to love in the third set tiebreaker, you know, early in the Victoria Azarenka hits, you know, a decent first serve into the body of Paula Bedosa. Bedosa is able to get that ball with depth back onto the body of Vika. Vika leaves an attackable uh, backhand and Bedosa goes behind her. Aggressive backhand down the line. She was so consistent off of that wing, match in, match out. And then, 
look, I, I thought she executed a really smart game plan against Vika. She tried to keep the ball down the center of the court unless she, with depth unless she was going for an aggressive corner shot, unless she was trying to create specific angle for herself. There was no recklessness. There was no, you know, tactless down the line ball with not enough depth because if you do that Victoria Azarenka is going to make you play uh pay if you allow Vika to be on her front foot she's going to crush you and even in this match when she, uh when Bedosa wouldn't allow Vika to be on her front foot Victoria Azarenka played an extraordinarily high level of tennis in this match and just again Bedosa races out I believe it was to a 4-1 lead I want to say in that first set maybe it was 4-2 Vika gets that break back pretty pretty quickly and just you know again is able to force the third set uh, the first set breaker and just her aggressiveness in that breaker but also her willingness to wait until ball 16 17 18 in the rally when Bedosa would leave a ball a little bit short and when she opened up just enough space to go down the line she was patient in waiting for that opportunity she did an excellent job when Bedosa would hang a second serve just taking that ball early on the rise taking time away from Paula Bedosa so she didn't have time to set up her, you know, loopy-ish, big, but bigger backswing forehand. And, of course, for Bedosa, the forehand's the side she wants to be more aggressive on. And she did a fantastic job changing directions with that forehand because I know I commented on how she played down the center with depth. But when Azarenka would go down the line, because Azarenka would go down the line with frequency in this match, Bedosa would respond by taking the you know the space from her, and it's a cross court mentality. Your opponent's going to go down the line; they better beat you to the spot because if they don't, you have the entire other half of the court to work with, and you're making them chase. And Paula Bedosa was constantly making Victoria Azarenka chase, and that this match was as close as it was speaks to the quality of play we saw particularly down the home stretch of this match. I mean, in the build-up to, you know, 4-all, 5-all, 4-all, and then eventually 5-all, and then 6-all in that third set, it just felt like both players were capitalizing on every opportunity they created for themselves as returners. Um, But just, again, the, the quality of baseline play and just both players' abilities to generate pace and depth when they were stretched into the outer thirds of the court Bedosa was exceptional, and what made her stand out was, again, all week, the physicality she played with. And let's be clear, this is Paula Bedosa's 46th match on the season that she's won in Indian Wells. You look in total matches played on the year for Paula Bedosa, excuse me, her 56th match. 56 matches ranked 6th on the WTA Tour, trailing just Jabour, Svitolina, Sabalenka, Golubic, and Krejcikova. And yet... You know, for Paula Bedosa, who came in nursing a bit of a shoulder injury and wasn't a thousand percent confident in her fi- in her physicality entering the event, she was sim- she was sensational all week long. Just again finding answers, finding backhands in these incredible positions when Azarenka would open up with an inside out forehand, and then again her ability to hit the forehand on the run cross court short angle, her ability to change direction, go inside out with that forehand when you give her time to run around it, and just. Again, the footwork she showed. Now, there were times when you would have loved for her to move forward and try and end points a little bit at the net when she had Vika stretched, had Vika vulnerable, you know, hitting some sort of slice with no pace on it, just, you know, Vika on the stretch trying to do anything to stay alive in the rally. But just to let her be bailed out 
from time to time. And, you know, while that worked for her on this occasion, that's definitely something to clean up moving forward because the way Bedosa is able to generate pace and depth in the outer third and the way she's able to turn defense into offense, she becomes that much more effective when she becomes that much more confident moving forward, taking the ball out of the air at the net. She's not quite there with that aspect of her game. That's actually a good thing. It speaks to the fact there are still low-hanging fruits of improvement for Victor- uh, for Paula Bedosa to accomplish, but Again, you look for Bedosa uh, with this victory here now, 41-15 and 15 for her on the year. You look at some of the things she's accomplished. Again, it's her second title on the season. She won earlier on the clay in Belgrade, quarterfinals for her Roland Garros, quarterfinals Tokyo, round of 16 for her in Wimbledon, three-set loss to Samsonova. I talked about this with David Kane. The only really questionable losses for Bedosa on the season, her two, uh, four and four loss in the second round of the U.S. Open to Gracheva, and then a 6-4 loss lost in the third set in Montreal to Marino. Of course, she was nursing a shoulder injury at the time, but that's it. Like the rest of the losses are to top 20 players and you look, or, you know, top 30 players and you look at what, you know, again, for Paula Bedosa in terms of her breakdown of opponents this season, she's 10 and three against the top 20. You look for her against top 50 opponents, 20 and nine overall. There's a reason Paula Bedosa has found herself in pole position to qualify for the year end finals now in Guadalajara. And you look for Bedosa who with this win up to new career high of number 13 in the live rankings. She's now eighth in the points race. She's surpassed Onjabur. She's even surpassed Naomi Osaka just straight up on the merits. We don't need Osaka to withdraw. Right now, Paula Bedosa is your eighth place uh, finish, uh, is your eighth place, and you remove Barty from the equation. She's seventh in the race to the year-end finals, and you look at the points gap she's now built between herself and, you know, Svitolina, Pagula, Pavlachenkova, Conteves of the world who are all still on the chase. Yes, Pavlachenkova, Conteve, you know, Jabour are all competing in Moscow this week. Now, Jabour currently, with no Barty, finds herself in the eighth place position. She's got about a 519 point lead on Alina Svitolina. She should be fine no matter what as well. But for Paula Bedosa, even if Pavlachenkova wins the 500 in Moscow, even if Conteve wins the 500 in Moscow, she will still have approximately a 200 point lead. So 194 point lead on Anastasia Pavlachenkova, a 202-point lead on Annette Conteve. Now, there would still be some 250s out there on the board for either of these players to chase, but let's be clear. If Conteve or Pavlachenkova win in Moscow, A, they play that much more, many more matches on their body. B, Paula Bedosa now has a week off. She's coming in that much more fresh, and maybe she goes out there, and even the 202 points is quite a bit of points. Maybe she goes to plays in 250, and then all she has to do, really, is win one match, and she's clinched herself a spot in the year-end finals. That's how impressive Paula Bedosa has been this season. Of course, you want to look more granularly for Bedosa. She is one of just, I believe, uh, it's, let's see, Four plus three is seven. Seven plus seven is 14. One of just 14 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Excuse me. One of just 12 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Bedosa now with her results here. Uh, you look for in terms of how her numbers have moved uh, with the success she's had. By hold percentage, she's still 23rd overall amongst top 50 players. You look for Bedosa, though, by break percentage. She has started to creep up the rankings. She goes from 19th entering the tournament all the way up to 15th after it 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's still not elite of the elite in any one category, but in terms of her floor as a player, I think Paula Bedos has proven it this season. She is that good across surfaces, and you look for her overall in the year. She's fifth in total wins, one of just five players over 40 wins. It's Jabor with 48, Krejcikova 44, Sabalenka 43, Barty 42, Bedosa 41. That's your 40-win club. Jabour, most wins on season. Again, she's ninth, right behind you in the points race. Krejcikova, a slam winner. Bardi, a slam winner. Sabalenka, so much success at so many different points of the season. Two slam semifinals for her. It's a really nice group to be a part of. Of course, you look in terms of quarterfinal winners on the year. She's tied, I believe, for, I want to say, fifth in terms of most quarterfinals on the year. Svitolina's got 10. Sabalenka, Bardi, Bencic, 9. Danielle Collins and Paula Bedosa with eight. So again, that's another top five number for her. You look in terms of semifinals, she's tied for third. Sakari Sabalenka have each made six. Her, Barty, Jabour, each with five semifinals. By any metric you want to point to, you want to go to the ELO ratings. Let's go to the ELO ratings quickly for Paula Bedosa. She's fourth now in overall ELO ratings, second in 2021 specific ELO ratings. Now those are hot takes. But that's all indicative of the success Paula Bedosa has had this season. And again, structurally, when you look at her game, show me the weakness. She's not a comfortable volleyer. Well, okay, she doesn't need to be a comfortable volleyer given how predicated the game today is on baseline success, on proficiency, on physicality, your willingness to play those 10, 15, 20-shot rallies across surface, on an ability to make a high percentage of first serves in pressure moments, and an ability to break back when your serve finds itself under pressure, an ability, again, both forehand, backhand wing to attack aggressively, to be able to generate pace and depth out of corners. The touch she shows at the night, she thinks she's a good volleyer. She's just not comfortable up there yet. And I think the drop shots she can mix in, the angles she can mix in, her willingness to elevate a ball, it's indicative of the hands that she has. The feel is there, just in a degree of comfort with her. But again, she's eighth place in the points race, if you include Ashley Barty. Seventh if you don't. And over 500 point lead for her over all of the biggest contenders to come and take her spot. A 23-year-old Paula Bedosa who starts the year outside the top 50, if I tell you she's going to end this season in Guadalajara at the year-end finals, you would have said, Alex, you can save that take. And I wouldn't have even shared that take. Uh, But that's a testament to her success. And again, if you want to hear more about her upside, where she goes from here, listen to the Great Shot podcast I did on Saturday with a foremost scholar in all things Paula Bedosa, Tennis Channel editorial producer David Kane. That said... Quickly, just to put a bow on this event, you look for Victoria Azarenka. I thought she played really well uh, throughout the course of the week. And again, I got into this argument with David, so I'm going to plug this over there because we have this discussion. You look for her in terms of the matches she's played uh, overall here in 2021. 28 and 9 in the actual matches she's competed in. That includes runs, obviously, to the finals here Indian Wells, semifinals Berlin, quarterfinals Montreal, quarterfinals Bad Hamburg, semifinals Doha. Unfortunately, of course, you think about the missed opportunity. She withdraws from that Doha semifinal against Garbin Muguruza, withdraws in Madrid against Jess Pagula, withdraws against Sarah Cerebez Tormo, withdraws against Muguruza again in quarterfinals. But if you want to throw those in, 28 and 13 here this season, you look for Victoria Azarenka. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, the win percentage right now is 76%. It's a little lower than that when you include the withdraws. But, you know, you look at her career averages, hold percentage right now. 0.6% above her career average. Now, the break percentage is about 0.5% below it. 
but she's been who she always is when she plays her uh, when she's healthy enough to be on court and compete at her best. And we saw how special her run is when it's over Kvitova, Pagula, the three setter for her over Ostapenko when it felt like Ostapenko had wrestled control of that match. Azarenka was able to just find ways to survive the Ostapenko stretches. It's been a really good year for Vika, and it'll be a question of how long these points stay on her resume, but you look for Victoria Azarenka now 20th in the points race overall. You look at her from a ranking perspective up to number 27 with her result last week. You know, again, it keeps you in the top 30, makes life that much easier, getting into the big events, being seated at the Grand Slams, which is so critical, of course, given the depth we see right now in women's tennis. What a fantastic finale. What a run for Paula Bedosa. She continues uh, her breakout 2021 season. Of course, that is the theme, it feels, of this 2021 Indian Wells. As next, we have to talk once again about Cam Norrie. And we've spoken quite a bit about Cam Norrie here on this mini break podcast of late. Why wouldn't we have? He's coming off of a final appearance in San Diego the week prior. He's 51 and 20 here this season. You look at the numbers for Cam Norrie in terms of where he stacks up amongst his. Uh, peers on the ATP tour and some of this is debatable because qualifying wins levels etc etc but via the tennis abstract stats leaderboard and shout out to Jeff and the tennis abstract team at all as always for making this sort of data available Kim Roy ranks second in total wins on the season CC Paz has 53 Nori's got 51 you look at your quarterfinal leaders Nori Tied for third, Tsitsipas at 14, Rublev's got 11, uh, excuse me, Rude's got 11, he and Rublev have 10. You look for Cam Nori, tied for fifth in terms of most semifinals on the ATP Tour. Rublev, Tsitsipas 9, Djokovic, Rude 8, Nori 0, PCB, Medvedev 7. I mean, that's a pretty good list of people to be hanging out with. And you look for Cam Nori here overall in the season. Again, it's the degree of difficulty in this season as well. He's 29-7 and against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Of course, two of those losses were to guys in Sebastian Corda and Carlos Alcaraz, who are only outside the top 50 because of their age. One of them was to Kane Nishikori, who's only outside of the top 50 because of injuries. And then the others, Kofor, Herbert, Paul, Rusevori. I don't think any of those are particularly poor losses, but... Of course, you look for still to be 29 and 7, 81% win percentage. That's doing your job. He's also 22 and 13 against top 50 opponents. And what's so impressive is the numbers stay pretty constant for him. Now, the hold percentage, 81.3% against non-top 50 opponents, 81.3% against top 50 opponents as well. That is critical because for Cam Norrie prior to this season, it was the serve that he struggled with against top-ranked ATP opponents. It was, you know, their ability to attack that serve, keep him honest with it, and, you know, not allow him uh, just, you know, because he's going to get a break of serve against any opponent he plays. He's always been that good as a returner, but it's been the progression as a server for him. And, you know, the first serve win percentages actually, and second serve win percentages are actually higher against top 50 opponents than they are against opponents outside the top 50. It's indicative of the growth we've seen from him this season. Of course, you look for him against top 20 opponents, 9-7 and seven overall in the season. The hold percentage does dip, but only to 78%, which would still be a top 30 number amongst top 50 players. The progression on serve for Nori, of course, is one of the big things that stands out. But to me, the trait that defines Cam Nori's success is just the physicality. And I know that's the theme, and obviously that characteristic is going to be exposed by conditions such as Indian Wells, but 
Cam Norrie broke serve 34 times during his six victories at Indian Wells. And that, of course, includes wins for him during the course of the event over Sandgren, Bautista Agut, Paul, Schwartzman, Dimitrov, and Vasilishvili. Now, that feels like a breakable group, but that is, that's what he did. Cam Norrie got those breaks accomplished. And you look for Cam Norrie right now. He is one of just nine players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentages on this season. Now, he's the only guy in the top 25 club. Everyone else a little bit higher than him. Djokovic, Medvedev, top 10. Rude, Zverev, Ivashka, top 15. But, of course, for Ivashka, a lot of that's 250-level success. Tsitsipas, Rublev, Rude, Nadal, top 20. You then have Cam Norrie in the top 25 club. But most notably for him, break percentage wise. Cam Norrie now, sixth amongst top 50 players. Let me say that again. Sixth amongst top 50 players on the season. He's at 29.7% overall. That's obviously going to be a career high for him. And you look for Norrie here, the hold percentage, 81% on the year. That's 2.8 above his uh, percent above his career average. Break percentage, I already mentioned it, that 29.7. That is 5% above his career average. What's left to say? Cam Norrie has been that good this season, and you just look for Norrie in this win against Basilashvili, goes out in early break lead, breaks him, I think, in that four, as you know, to take the 3-1 lead in that first set, gives that break back, does not win another game in the first set, and you could imagine first Masters 1000 final, he played San Diego the week before, wins over Dimitrov, Schwartzman, three three setters for him in his first three matches. Maybe the legs go away there. You saw how well Basilashvili was striking the ball in the first set. It felt not only impossible to get a winner by him, but it felt like Basilashvili might be the one guy who actually had the pace to hit through these courts. It felt like every inside-out forehand he hit turned into a winner or created him a chance to hit a winner. He hit some backhands cross-court where you're just like, how do you do that? And yet Cam Norrie relent. You know, he didn't, he didn't give up. There was no—you know, he remained resilient. He just— his ability to track out, I mean, the defining shot of the match might be just him in, on the deuce side of the court in that backhand corner for him as he's a lefty, just driving that ball backhand cross court, just driving it with depth each and every time right back at Basilishvili until Basilishvili tried to take a risky move, until Basilishvili improperly went down the line and then Nori gets to hit his on-the-run forehand cross court and now you're playing Cam's game. And it's just... You know, again, quietly for Cam Norrie throughout the course of the day, wins 77% of his first serve points, saves three of the six break points that he faces in the match. You know, 48% win percentage on the second serve is not great, but just he, it was a ho-hummer sort of day for him on serve, particularly his, you know, when he was able to land first serves, particularly after that first set concluded. And then for him, it's just constantly putting pressure in the service games of Nicolas Basilashvili. And you look for him on the match. He won, you know, 44% of his first serve return points, 42% of his second serve return points. So again, he won more first serve points than second serve uh, points. It was the same Cam Norrie, point in, point out, just again, always willing to suffer. 10, 15, 20 shot rallies. Of course, the defining sequence may be the backhand on the, you know, in that 5-4 five, five, service game, 4-5 uh, service game, excuse me, for Nicolas Basilishvili uh, in that second set to end it where Nori ends up getting the break. You know, first point of the match, it's a long uh, sequence. Nori ends up getting that forehand cross court, uh, opening up or get opening up the space for himself, ends up following it to the net and creates, you know, a beautiful uh, cross court uh, drop shot volley 
uh, to earn himself the victory, uh, to earn himself the point, and then you know on the or later on in the in the game he hits the on the run backhand passing shot down the line to beat Basilashvili to the spot I believe for Love Forty. And you're just like, oh my god, you know, again, it's the all-around skills for Cam Nori. He really can do a little bit of everything, and nothing is going to overwhelm you. You know, it's not the plus-one pop of a Matteo Berrettini. It's not maybe the silkiness in and out of corners that you see of a Daniil Medvedev or, you know, just the relentlessness of the baseline power of Alex Zverev when he's playing on his front foot. But it's a little bit of everything. The creativity, the short angles, which he plays as many of them as possible, his ability to hit that slice serve out wide on the ad side. It might be my favorite serve right now in all of tennis. He's a comfortable volleyer as well. And again, he, who knows? He's a guy who knows himself, who's comfortable being Cam Nori, point in, point out on court, knowing it's not going to be, you know, the most, it's not going to be flashy. That's It's not the flashiest winners, but. You know, I'm going to break you down over time. It's Brooksby-ish and just, yeah, I should say Brooksby is Nori-ish in just the way they both open up the court with the angles and depth is the key word. Everything Cam Nori does has depth. All of those ground strokes are landing past the service line or they're high enough elevated over the net, particularly on that forehand wing to where when they bounce, you know, A, he's got that extra half second for them to just get over the net, but B, when they bounce, they're getting up on that shoulder of Vili. I mean, Nori's done it across surfaces as well. I, I mention it. it. It's crazy. Second in wins, top three in quarterfinals, top five in semifinals, second title for him on the season, of course, most impressively now for Cam Nori. He legitimately finds himself in the hunt for one of the final spots at the year-end finals. You look for Nori now. He's up to 10th in the points race. Trails Hubie Hercots, uh, I believe, by, let's see, plus so minus 40, by 160 points. There it is. Quick math on the run. Uh, Nor- uh, Hercots with 2955. Nori with 2795. So, yeah, 160 points he trails him by. Now he trails Casper uh, Rude by 220 points. But you got to keep in mind, Masters 1000 in Paris still on the board. We've also got Vienna, but that Masters 1000 is a massive opportunity. And obviously guys like Sinner on an indoor hard court who trails Nori by 200 points and even Hubie Hercots on an indoor hard court. You, you just won the most sell open. You absolutely love his shots there. Kasper proven he's good everywhere as well. But so has Cam Nori this season who's made quarterfinals on clay courts, hard courts, grass courts, done it against the best of the best. And of course, as I mentioned, 10th in the points race, Nori also finds himself up to a new career high of 15, I believe, entering the week, 14th in the live rankings. He's the highest ranked British male in tennis, which of course always means something. Uh, By the way, right now, only two countries have multiple players 25 or under in the top 30 of the ATP and WTA singles rankings, those countries, the USA and Canada. Now we see Nori run from Great Britain. Are the old powers being resurrected in tennis? No, I'm not saying that. Don't worry. You know, I just got to throw some spice out there every now and again. But Cam Norrie's played his way into the contention for a spot in Turin. 11th right now in overall ELO, 8th in 2021 specific ELO. The numbers say it, the eye test say it, the results say it. And for Norrie, who of course was the number one player in the nation during his time at TCU and was always, you know, a highly touted junior as well during his time. Uh, still, to to see this sort of breakout, you expected this year maybe he could make this sort of, I don't want to say quite Rindernesh jump because I think he had already done what Arthur Rindernesh has accomplished this season. But, you know, that, that next jump from Rindernesh to... 
I'm trying to think. The Avashka jump. I guess what Avashka has done this season is solidifying himself as a top 50 guy and just, you know, working his way towards the top 35. I think a lot of people expected that sort of result for Cam Norrie, but obviously he has been even more superior than that. And next year, it's about the slams, and there were early losses for him. You know, a couple third rounds to Rafa here this season. He's going to have better draws next year. There will not be a third-round affair with Rafa because now he's going to be a top-15 player entering this season. He's got points, you know, pockets of points stashed across the board as well. Cam Norrie has positioned himself beautifully for the 2022 season, and now it's about sustaining. And, you know, just given the work ethic of Norrie, given his desire to remain at the top of tennis and just be the best tennis player he can be because work ethic, of course, is not something you can fake, and it's something that's always defined Nori. It's just going to be fascinating to see where he goes from here. And of course, as as high as we are on Nori here at Crack Rackets, it would be a lie to say any of us could have seen this sort of result coming. I was having a text, will this be Cam Nori's only Masters 1000 title of his career? I don't know. I see a 2025 Paris title in his future as well, but Again, Nori was simply sensational. Three-set victory for him over Basilishvili to earn this title at Indian Wells. Of course, for Basilishvili, it's just worth noting, you know, again, he faces allegations off the court, but he has been sneaky successful here this season. He's a guy with multiple titles. He's a guy where, if you look now overall for Nicholas Basilishvili here this season, oh, Break percentage, 26.7%. That's a top 20 number amongst top 50 players. That's a career high for him. You look at his record now here in 2021 for Nicolas Basilishvili. Uh, I believe he is now, yeah, 34 and 25 over the overall on the year. That's a 58% win percentage. You look for him in his career. That would be a career high for him in any season of full tour play. And, you know, again, multiple titles for him in Doha, in Munich earlier this season, finals now of Indian Wells. He's going to be, you look in the points race for Nicolas Basilishvili here this season. I believe Basilishvili now with this result. Yeah, he's 15th in the points race overall in the year. You look for him in the rankings back up to number 25, 29 years old. Again, I'm that's where you want to be at that point in your career. You get to play whatever matches you want. He's stashed himself points across the board, across the season. It's like a heck of a run for Nicolas Basilishvili to make the uh, the finals here at Indian Wells. Of course, you look at your semifinal run. Uh, it was Taylor Fritz ultimately falling 6-3 and three to Basilishvili in the final. Again, just for Basilishvili on this surface, if you can't get a ball by him, he hits the ball big enough. That contact point is pure enough. He is going to get a ball by you. So just, spl- just again, it, it, the loss had more to do with Basilishvili's form than Norrie's. But, of course, you look uh, for Taylor Fritz now with this result, 26th in the points race, 28th in live rankings. You gotta love right now live rankings. 26th Isner, 27 Opelka, 28 Fritz. You move down a little further. Corda, 37. Tiafo, 49. Paul, 53. McDonald, 56. Garone, 59. Brooksby, 66. Nakashima, 78. They're coming, folks. Here come the Americans. So, of course, again, that's something to keep your eye on for. On the flip side, for Grigor Dimitrov with his run to the semifinals, solidifies the ranking currently at, I believe, number 22 in the live rankings, 23 in the points race. Yeah, he's still a top 25 guy, which just makes life that much easier for you on tour. But, of course, chaos going to come to define the ATP and WTA Tour over the next few years as these generations try to figure out who goes where, who's at the top. And, you know, again, 
I think we're going to get more tournaments like Indian Wells than the tournaments we were accustomed to seeing throughout the Big Three era, where it was exactly who we expected in the finals and ultimately in the winner's title uh, circle. But you always expect funk in the post-U.S. Open stretch, and certainly this 2021 Indian Wells develops, of course, quickly here to conclude. I know I listed some of those stats for you earlier, but I kind of ran through them quickly, so just to look at them here before we wrap today's show, here's the updated top 10, 15, 20, 25 clubs on the men's and women's side. Muguruza falls out of the top 10 club. There are now no women who rank top 10 in both hold or break percentage. You've got four in the top 15, Shviantek, who's hovered in that group all year long, Jabour, and Muguruza. That's been the name. You know, again, Jabour, your wins leader. Muguruza, arguably the highest peak of anyone this season, back-to-back Doha, Dubai. Shviantek, just the relentless consistency. Only player to make fourth round at every slam this year. And then the fourth one, Serena, which is just always fascinating when she's played. Was she that good? I guess that's something for us to Christian ponder here this offseason. But again, those are your four top 15. You look at the top 20 club, Danielle Collins, Maria Sakari, and Clara Tawson, who, of course, has dominated at a slightly lower level than some of her contemporaries, but she has dominated that lower level. So now that she's a top 50 player, she finds herself eligible for the club. Not a shock to see her as a top 20 club member. Of course, I cheated a little bit to include two players, made it a top 27 club. That way, here's your list. Barty, Krejcikova, Sabalenka, Bedosa, all included. They're all top 25 in both, as is Emma Raducanu. Svitolina and Conteve were the cheats, and I do feel like both of them belong on this list, just given where they are in terms of their accomplishments here this season. But again, Sviantek, Serena, Shibuor Muguruza, top 15 club, Collins, Sakari, Tossin, top 20, Barty, Krechikova, Sabalenka, Bedosa, Svitolina, Radikanu, Conteve, your top 27 club. I mentioned it, your top five wins leaders, all over 40. Jabour's got 48, Krechikova, 44, Sabalenka, 43, Barty, 42, Bedosa, 41. Svitolina right now, most quarterfinals at 10. You've got Sabalenka, Barty, Bencic at 9. Collins, Bedosa at 8. Then seven players tied at 7. In terms of semifinals, Sakari, Sabalenka, 6. Barty, Bedosa, Jabour, 5. Then seven more players tied with 4 as well. You look again, big ELO rating movers. Paula Bedosa all the way up to 4th. Obviously, that's the big standout. You look, well, switch gears, just go to the men's side. Top 10 club, still Djokovic, Medvedev. Top 15 club, Rude, who's been dominant. You know, again, that's your Vashka. That's your uh, Tossin inclusion here, just how dominant he's been at that level. And honestly, he has been that good all around. So top 15 club makes sense. He's joined by Alex Zverev. And Ilya Vashka, who has been, I suppose, that dominant in the in the level of tennis that he's played here this season. Top 20 club, you expand. You start to get Tsitsipas. You get Rublev. You also get Rafael Nadal, who will probably be higher on this list if he played more but didn't play down the stretch of the season. Then I cheated to make it a top 26 club. Nori, top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Karatsev, who sneaks in. He's 26 in hold percentage, but I just like including him on this list. So again, Djokovic, Medvedev, top 10. Rude, Zverev, Ivashka, the outlier, top 15. Tsitsipas. Pass Rublev, Nadal, top 20, Nori, Karatsev, top 26. I think it makes sense. Like, that's the group of guys you'd expect, of course. You know, again, wins leader-wise, Tsitsipas, 53, Nori, 51, Medvedev, 49. Then three guys, Rudes, Europe, Rublev, tied with 46. 
Djokovic, 44. Ivashka, 41. Berrettini, Sinner, 38. PCB, 36. Those numbers all make sense, right? Those are the guys who we've seen have success week in, week out in terms of the quarterfinal leaders. Tsitsipas, 14. Rude, 11. Nori, Rublev, 10. Zverev, Medvedev, 9. And then Basilashvili, FAA, Djokovic, PCB, 8. Basilashvili cracks that list, folks. Eight quarterfinals for him this season. Speaks to how good he's been on the court. Semifinal leaders, Rublev, Tsitsipas, 9. Djokovic, Rude, 8. Noreb, Zverev, PCB, Medvedev, 7. Notice PCB's inclusion on all of these lists. This just proves he's top 8 in just about everything this season. Belongs in the mix. Uh, certainly, although he doesn't have the big title like a Nori, like a Hercot. He doesn't have the number of titles as a Kasparud. That's why he's a little bit behind them in terms of that race to the year-end finals. But, you know, again, he, I, he's been pretty damn good this season, in my opinion. The best of the lost generation. But that's where things stand, entering the final weeks of play on tour here in 2021. And, of course, we've still got the year-end finals for the men and the women. Still got the Masters event in Paris for the men. 500 level in Moscow this week. Plus countless 250s, challengers. All of it, of course, will be the subject of tomorrow's podcast. I'll lay the schedule out for all of you listeners, let you know what you should be watching here this week. Of course, if you missed out on any of last week's challenger action, you can catch up on it all with our Monday episode of the Great Shot Podcast, Damian Kusiakabobro, recapping it all, talking about who won the week, who uh, what we should be watching, looking towards this week as well. And of course, uh, if you missed some of our prior conversations, Most Improved Player with Chris Otto, uh, All Things Paula Bedosa with David Kane, you can find all those podcast conversations on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast as well. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all that set for our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.